We've spent the month of November with this blind man that Jesus healed. Earlier in the month, Leona told me that this was one of her favorite stories in the Bible. And so I wanted her to read the story to us once more this morning. As today is going to be the last message as we wrap up this encounter. In today's message, Jesus... After this man has been thrown out of the synagogue, Jesus re-enters the man's life, but he's going to come into his life and take things to a much deeper, a much more personal and more spiritual level. Uh, Jesus is going to enter the man's life and to offer more than just physical sight. In a healthy way, our culture has shift it back to a more spiritual orientation of life. It's a rejection of much of their parents' culture uh, that seemed to be very focused on material gain, material promises, wealth, the accumulation of things. And there's been a backlash to this to people now looking for something more spiritual, We've become an increasingly spiritual age, looking for something deeper, more mystical, more relational, more lasting. And yet, many are running to some of the Eastern religions to look for this, or running to different versions of Hinduism or Buddhism. Unfortunately, part of the reason for this is because some of the materialism that they are rejecting from a previous generation, much of the Western commercialism that they are reacting towards, they find too much in Western churches. And so they begin looking to the East and to some very different versions of spirituality. And yet, Jesus has what they are looking for. And what Jesus has is often a challenge to not only the materialism in our world, but also to much Eastern spiritualism, but also to some of the materialism that has crept into our modern church. And so in order to discover Jesus, we often have to peel away the layers that have been painted on him. Even if the painting is worth $450 million, we have distorted glasses of who Jesus is. And so we need to ask ourselves, who is Jesus according to Scripture? Who is the Jesus that this blind man met? Who is Jesus beyond our Western eyes, our Baptist eyes, our denominational lenses. Who is Jesus according to the scriptures? According to those earliest documents that were written a few decades after his life, his death, his alleged resurrection... By those people who were the closest to him, those people who either knew him or knew the people that knew him. But an encounter with Jesus is a little bit scary. 
We see what happened in the story that was just read. The real Jesus is not one who we can easily conform our scripts to. Instead, Jesus is the one who rewrites the script. He's the one who rewrites our way of thinking. He upsets the apple cart. The real Jesus is not at all concerned with many of the things that we're concerned about. Jesus is not concerned that we get a good parking spot on Black Friday. Jesus isn't concerned whether or not our soccer team wins or the football team that we're going to cheer for this afternoon wins. Plenty of our God things, quote-unquote, are the kinds of things that make Jesus roll his eyes. When we meet the Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, he ends up reorienting our way, our truth, and our life. And it is for that reason that Jesus can often make us uncomfortable. Because we may need to change our glasses. Today's message is an appeal to rediscover Jesus. An appeal to rediscover Jesus, not so that we can then take that rediscovery and then package Jesus, or promote Jesus, or market Jesus, or use Jesus for our own lofty goals, but it is to help us bow the knee to Jesus and worship him. That he becomes Lord, not so that we use him as some kind of genie to serve us. And so we all have to ask, what brand of glasses am I wearing? How have I been seeing Jesus? How do I read the events in my life? How do I read the experiences that I undergo? How do I interpret the situations that unfold before me? Because we all consciously, and what obviously is much more hard to pick out, we all also subconsciously interact with our world. We interact with our world with certain lenses. But due to the pace that a lot of us live, due to our continual distractions, we often don't reflect on the glasses through which we are looking. Describing how the lenses we use affect us. The 19th century revivalist, evangelist, preacher D.L. Moody once said this. There are those of us who are business blind. It's business, business, business with them all the time. In the morning, they haven't time to worship. They must attend to business. They must get down to the store. Down they run, and they haven't time to go home for dinner. They mustn't let anyone get ahead of them. And so they get home late at night. After their families have gone to bed, they scarcely even have time for their children. It's all business with them. Business, business, business. They are business blind. We all have blinders like that. After Jesus entered the life of the blind man, nobody would see the same way again. Jesus came as the light of the world. The one who was going to take away the business blindness. 
the one who was going to take away whatever other blindness that people are stuck in. But see, that's where it gets very uncomfortable. When your whole life is oriented by a certain way, be it business blindness, and all of a sudden you can see differently, it upsets the whole way that you live. It upsets the way you see business, the way you see family, the way you see life. And for many of us, it becomes very uncomfortable. Not just for us, but even for those around us. It's interesting that they have shown that when an alcoholic begins to finally get control of alcohol in their life and becomes sober, often it has, a, at the beginning, a detrimental effect on the whole family unit. You'd think that automatically things would get better, but because the whole family unit has now learned how to orient themselves and how to function with an alcoholic in the family, as soon as the person no longer is an alcoholic, it actually upsets the whole system. And things can get worse before they get better at the beginning. When blindness is taken away, it's uncomfortable. Jesus, the light of the world, a light that would illuminate the dark, and yet a light that would also permanently blind other people. Jesus has both effects. It's kind of like looking at the sun. Uh, The sun has a wonderful effect of helping us to all see better, but if we don't use it correctly, and if we look directly into the sun, the very same sun that helps us see is the sun that can blind us from being able to see. Jesus divided the crowds. Jesus divided the religious leaders. Jesus divided the blind man and his parents. Jesus is still dividing people today. Because when Jesus enters the picture, the picture changes. And it's for this reason that we want to either avoid Jesus or repaint Jesus in a way that is more palatable. Just look at the blind man. His life was probably peaceful until Jesus came along. I don't know exactly what his circumstances was like, but he probably had a routine. Sure, he was blind, but he started to learn how to live with his blindness. Everybody knew their place. He didn't have to go to work each day. He could beg and let other people feed him and take care of him and give him money. He was often left alone. Nobody bothered him. Most people probably walked on by and completely ignored him. Not a whole lot would have been expected of him. He probably, he was born blind, had got fairly used to his life and had made the best of it. But then Jesus touched his eyes. Now, the Pharisees were after him. The crowds questioned if he was the same person. His parents were too afraid to stand up for him. They didn't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. And eventually, he himself was kicked out of his church and kicked out of his community. Thanks, Jesus. 
It's so good to know that uh, you love me and have a wonderful plan for my life. You've come along and you've messed everything up. My parents don't want to acknowledge who I am. Friends are saying that they don't know if I'm the same person that they used to know. I no longer can go to church anymore. The community religious leaders want to condemn me. Thanks, Jesus. See, it's much easier to live with business blindness or to live with helplessness blindness or to live with trendy blindness or even religious blindness. Stick our heads in the sand. Don't talk to me about the persecuted church. Don't talk to me about 10-year-old girls sold into brothels. Don't tell me about things like innocent children getting blown up by Syrian and Russian and American bombs. Don't talk about demon possession. Instead, just ride the wave, go with the flow. Don't rock the boat, blend in with the world. Give me my personalized Jesus Savior to make my life cozy now and with a heaven thrown in afterwards. But then Jesus comes along and he touches your eyes and messes everything up. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And now Jesus re-enters this man's life when he found him and said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? I love what the 4th century preacher John Chrysostom says about this passage. It says, They cast him out, the man, out of the temple, but the Lord of the temple found him. It's not so bad to be cast out of the temple when the Lord of the temple comes and finds you. The blind man's eyes had been opened, but only in a very limited extent. He could now physically see. He had rolled down the window of the car just a little bit to allow some of the fresh air to come in. But now Jesus was going to have that window rolled down much further. You see, he asks them if he believes in the Son of Man. Do you believe in the Messiah, in other words? Do you believe in the promised Messiah that God has talked about? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. See, at this point, he makes no connection between Jesus and this Messiah. He just thinks Jesus is possibly some kind of great prophet. That's what he told the religious leaders. That's what his assumption of him is. So when this great prophet comes and says, do you believe there's going to be a, a, a Messiah, a coming son of God? He says, I, I do believe that. Uh, most of us believe that. I just don't know who he is. Tell me who he is so that I may believe in him. There were all kinds of predictions in the first century of who this Messiah was going to be. In fact, there were many pop-up Messiahs all over the place during this time. We read about that in the book of Acts as well. This guy out in the Egyptian desert, this guy over in Syria, this guy over here, popping up, getting crowds to gather around them for a short period of time, all claiming to be the Messiah. They had as many predictions back then as some Christians now have predictions about the end of the world today. 
On and on and on they went. And so people were saying, is this the person? Is this the person? Is this the person? Or are we still to wait for that person to come? So the man's asking the kind of question that most people were asking back then. I I do believe there's going to be a Messiah. Just who? Has he come yet? Is he still to come? Is he one of these people that are out and about today? Tell me so I can believe in him. Now listen to Jesus' reply. There's only one other person that Jesus is this explicit with in regards to revealing himself as the Messiah. And that's with the woman at the well that we looked at in John chapter 4. And look at the kind of language that Jesus uses and how he connects it with what he's just done with this man. He's just healed his eyes physically. Now he asks him about the Messiah and he says, tell me who this Messiah is so that I can believe. And Jesus said, you have seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking to you right now. You've seen him. The man who opened your eyes. The one you are looking at right now is the Messiah. You are now seeing more than just physically with sight. You are now beginning to see with understanding. See, lots of people saw Jesus. Even the religious teachers and the Pharisees and all of the other people, they saw Jesus too. So it wasn't so much of a miracle that the guy could just physically see Jesus. That was one level of a miracle of bringing his blindness to sight. But he could only at that point see Jesus like anybody else could see Jesus. And make some kind of interpretation. He's either a heretic or he's a prophet or whatnot. Lots of people saw Jesus in that way. But now, because Jesus sought him out He was able to see Jesus with a much greater understanding. Now you are seeing through understanding the Son of God. Now you are seeing with understanding the Messiah. The promised one. The one that God has promised from old. The blind man is now seeing in another way. Even though this will be the most costly decision he will ever make. This new insight will never allow this man to see in the dark again. Or to be blinded by the dark again. This new insight will cause him to see pain and pleasure. And politics and possessions the way Jesus does. This new sight will mean that he will be ridiculed and misunderstood and rejected. And yet, the blind man bows the knee. The man said, Lord... I believe. And in another place where we only read this 
This clearly in one other place, this time with, with Thomas after Jesus' resurrection, where it's this clear, we read, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. He got it. This is one of the first accounts in Scripture of anyone who gets Jesus to that extent that he worships him. Even the disciples, it takes them a lot longer to get around to understanding that he's not just a prophet, nor is he just a Messiah, but he is to be worshipped. This is one of the earliest accounts of anyone who goes full out all the way and equates Jesus with God worthy to be worshipped. Talk about having your eyes opened. Not just physically, but to see truth. Have you ever worshipped Jesus? The Jesus of Scripture? Not necessarily the Jesus that your parents told you about, not necessarily your denominational Baptist Jesus, not necessarily the Jesus that you read about in Time magazine or saw a movie about, not the Hindu guru Jesus or the follow the rules policeman Jesus, not the Christmas Santa Claus Jesus or the marketable prosperity Jesus. Or the rub the bottle genie Jesus? I'm talking about worshiping the rejected, hated, and despised Jesus of Scripture. The one to whom one day we will all have to give account. The one who is the eye doctor who doesn't just give us better glasses, but the one who goes further than the best laser eye surgery ever done, who heals sight, insight, understanding, so that we can see the truth. Jesus said then, for judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Jesus knows the effect that he is going to have. He is going to come into the world and some are going to see because of him. But others are going to become blind because of him. The same effect of his brightness is going to have different results on different people. And this is the Jesus that many resist. See, we would rather try to appease God on our own. Because in order to come to this Jesus means humility. It means recognizing that maybe the way that we've been seeing is not correct. Maybe even the way that we've been seeing Jesus is not correct. And so it takes humility. Because the only appropriate response to Jesus, the only way to really see Jesus is to go all the way just like this man did. And that is to 
worship him. And that takes the ultimate humility. To worship somebody means that you are completely and utterly under their authority. Even if there's no benefit to us, we bow the knee. Even if it means we get thrown out of the family, thrown out of the church, thrown out of the community, we bow the knee to this one. It means that we're making Christ number one, the king, the boss, the ruler, Lord, everything. To, it means that we begin to think as he thinks, breathe as he breathes, hear as Jesus hears, talk as Jesus would talk, and see as Jesus sees. In one of the greatest aids to prayer, at least according to me, we pray alongside of Thomas Akempis in his wonderful book, The Imitation of Christ. And what it means to bow the knee to this one means to pray like this, give me what you will, as much as you will, and when you will. Do with me as you know best to be done, as it shall please you, as it shall be most to your honor. Put me where you will, and according to your will. I am your creature, and in your hands, lead me and turn me wherever you will. I am your servant, ready to do all things that you command. For I do not desire to live to myself, but to you. It's to realize that Jesus is not there to serve us. But we're there to serve Jesus, to worship him. That's what it means to worship God. And that's why so few do it. Because to do so is to lose control. It's to lose control of our way of orienting our life. It's to lose control of our families, our children. Our jobs, our security, our work. It's to lose control and to lose it to Jesus. It's to abandon yourself to Jesus. It's to crush our pride or to stop wallowing in our self-pity. And to find the freedom that Jesus has to offer. To stop living our own life, our own way, either through our egos or to stop living our life in our own way through our guilt and our shame and our oppression. It's to live in the forgiveness of what it means that Jesus is Lord. And he's everything. He is the one I live for and nothing else matters, not even my sin. The Chinese preacher Watchman Nee once said, we pray, we read the Bible, we institute a number of rules and regulations in the hope 
that we will be able to subdue and to change and to control our sinful nature. We try all these different things, praying, reading the Bible, rules, regulations, somehow trying to change our sinful nature. We lay down many ordinances, such as don't taste this, don't handle that, don't listen to this, and unconsciously thinking that our sinfulness is due to a lack of rules, a lack of culture, a lack of education. Little do we realize, Watchman Nee said, that subduing our sinful nature can never be accomplished by rules and regulations. They become absolutely ineffective. Instead, freedom is found in bowing our knee to Christ and making him Lord of everything. When our thinking changes, when we begin a new love relationship with the Savior. When we begin a new love relationship with the Savior, we live. And we don't need rules in order to help us know how to live. It's like being in a love relationship with our spouse. Because I am absolutely in love with my wife, I don't have to wake up every morning and say, okay, what are the rules for being in a relationship with Nancy? All right, well, I probably shouldn't speak in a tone of voice that is derogatory to her. Um, don't commit adultery. That's a good rule. Um, what's another rule? Oh, yeah, make sure that I fix the bed. If she leaves earlier before me, I should probably fix the bed. She likes it when the bed's fixed. Uh, four, uh, make sure the dishwasher is cleaned out. I mean, I don't orient my life with a bunch of commandments and rules. What I have done is, because I'm in a love relationship with her, I begin to understand her, I begin to get to know what she's like, the kinds of things that, that she desires, and the kinds of ways that she thinks, and because of love, I just do it. It just begins to become a natural way that you live. In fact, throwing all those rules into the mix is probably the best way to erode the relationship what kind of relationship is based on a whole bunch of duties and yet our relationship with jesus can fall into that category so quickly it's why many people walked away from the church that's what they saw in the church they saw relationship with jesus equals follow rules and they said gross correctly and they walked away. Who wants that kind of relationship? People want love. What does it mean to love? Like the blind man, we need to be brought to the point of worship. And worship is love. It's love with abandon. It's love that puts our pride aside and abandons ourselves into the other's life. It listens to the other. It's important to get past yourself if you're going to ever come to Christ. Just like it's important to get past yourself if you're ever going to go see the doctor. 
See, men are particularly bad at this one. We have this idea that we can handle it, we're strong, nobody is sticking their finger anywhere that will make me uncomfortable. And besides, I've got too many important things to do than waste my time sitting around in a doctor's office waiting for them to try to diagnose what's wrong with me. And so, what happens is we foolishly die of something that was easily preventable because our pride and our unwillingness to be uncomfortable ends up costing us our life. And it's like that with our spiritual life, too. It's the same kinds of things that keep us avoiding the one and true doctor, Jesus Christ. It's our pride. We can handle it. We can do it. We can live our own life. Or it's, he's not going to make me uncomfortable because Jesus pokes and prods as well. I don't want anybody poking and prodding around in my life. And so we avoid the doctor. Or we avoid Jesus, the doctor. And for some reason, as a general rule, it seems to be worse in men than women, also in the spiritual life. It's rare to find a house in which a husband is diligently following the Lord and his wife is not. There are some. I know some houses that are like that, but it is rare. If a husband is diligently, passionately following the Lord, it's almost inevitable that his wife is as well. But I know numerous cases the other way, where a wife is diligently, passionately following the Lord, but her husband is not. I don't know what it is with us guys, but we really seem to have issues with our pride. Or we're just a bunch of wimps and we don't like to be uncomfortable when the doctor pokes around. But a lot of us have some really whacked ideas about what's important in life. We've got blindness. And it's heading us right into a brick wall. Many of us have already hit that wall. Some of us hit the wall and just rebound and then hit it again. And then rebound and hit it again and hit it again. And you just kind of wonder, when are you going to realize that maybe this is not the path to take? The Pharisees were like this. It says, some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this. That is, heard Jesus say that some of you are blind and are going to see, but some of you who think you, you can see are actually blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with them heard him say this and said, what, are you saying that we're blind? Are you saying that we're blind too? Do you hear the indignation in these religious leaders? Are you calling us blind? We're teachers. Teachers aren't blind. We're educators. We're the ones that help other people see. Are you saying that this blind man who, uh, by the way, in case you forgot, was steeped in sin at birth. Are you saying that he is the one that's really seeing now and we, the disciples of Moses, are blind? Well, that's precisely what Jesus was saying. Jesus said, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty of sin. 
But now that you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. See, the blindness Jesus is referring to here is ignorance about the things of God. You can't be guilty of what you do not know. If you were blind, you'd not be guilty of sin. You're blind. You can't be held accountable for that which you do not know. But you, religious leaders, you claim to know. You claim to see. You claim to have the knowledge of the truth of God and and, and have spent your life studying it. And yet now, when God's truth is standing here before you, in front of your face, you can't see it. And yet this guy who was once blind and now can see is worshiping me. So yeah, you're blind. You're missing the very thing that you're supposedly teaching everybody else about. And the reason why you're missing it is because you refuse to put on the glasses of humility. You refuse to acknowledge that you could be wrong. You refuse to try to look at life, to try to look at me, Jesus, to try to look at the situation of the blind man, to try to look at all your rules about Sabbath. You refuse to try to look at it from another perspective and see it differently. And because of that, you're blind. Even when the truth is staring you in the face. Only when we realize that we are weak do we become strong. Only when we realize that we are blind do we see. Only do we realize that we have sin steeping through our entire body do we recognize our need for forgiveness. Only through humility can we follow Christ. That's what Martin Luther taught us to sing every time we sing a mighty fortress. Did we in our own strength confide? No. Because if we confided in our own strength, all our striving would be losing. If you're trying to do it in your own strength, it's all a loss. The Bible says that even all of our good works are like filthy rags. There's no striving of yet of, of accomplishing our own forgiveness. Karl Barth, another Lutheran, said this a drowning person cannot pull themselves out of the water by their own hair. It's kind of a funny visual, isn't it? Trying to pull yourself out of the water by your own hair. Neither can you do it. Someone else must rescue you. If you're a drowning person, drowning in whatever area of life that is just sinking you and you're trying to get out of it on your own pulling yourself by your own hair uh, you're doomed to death the stories of self-progress of self-evolution of self-esteem of self-goodness are fairy tales that our culture has baptized us with They have unhappy endings that end in things like fascism, communism, terrorism. The biblical story, on the other hand, is a story of humanity's rebellion against God and rebellion against each other, resulting in fall 
our fall and resulting in sin and resulting in our utter helplessness. But it's the story of humanity rescued and redeemed by the Messiah, the one who opens our eyes like he opened the eyes of the blind man, the one the blind man worshipped. It's the story of God who, through Jesus Christ, redeemed us so that we could live a life of forgiveness and love and joy that's extended towards one another because of what God has done for us. It's a story of being able to see and to see accurately. It is when we acknowledge that that we worship Jesus. Worship Jesus. And when we refuse God's offer to us, we remain blind. Even though we think we see. We have the greatest ideas and philosophies about life. And yet we're really blind. The blind man was set free while the Pharisees became blind. The blind could see, the seeing were blind. And so the question for us is how good is our own vision? Unless you acknowledge that your vision is bad. Unless you acknowledge that you need healing. Not just once, but on an ongoing basis. Even when you read the scripture, you need continual healing that you're not reading your own self and your own desires and your own ego into what you're reading. You need continual renewal. You need the continual humility of being able to see through Christ. On an ongoing basis, Christians refer to that as sanctification. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Unless we continually understand that I will do it wrong. I need to submit in humility and worship Christ and see everything through a worshiping attitude for Christ. Unless I do that, I'll be blind. It's time for each and every one to, of us to acknowledge our need for Christ in our life. To worship him as the God of everything. Jesus is offering you a chance to see with a new perspective. And that is his perspective. Will you be humble enough to admit that the way that you've been seeing could be wrong? Even if it might mean that by admitting that, you may be thrown out of your own social circle? Because that can happen when you find Jesus. But yet, if that does happen, Jesus comes to you again like he did with this blind man and offers you even deeper insight. He offers you a new family, a new way of life, a new heart, a new set of understanding, a brand new life.
with his people. That's Jesus' offer to every one of us. Will you accept it? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you love us so dearly uh, that you risked everything and came to us, even sacrificing your very life for us. Lord, I pray that we will bow the knee before you and get past ourselves to get past our continual way of trying to make everything right through our own self-help and rules and regulations. But instead that like the blind man, we will simply acknowledge who you are, the Messiah, the Savior. You're the only one that can pull us out of the drowning water. And I pray, Lord, that you humble our hearts so that we can come to you, not once, but on a regular daily basis, to confess Christ is Lord. Every day that I wake up, every day that I go to sleep, every temptation that I face, I once again acknowledge Christ is Lord. That's how I live. That's how I see. That's how every decision is made. Because I worship Christ as Lord. May we bow the knee to you in Jesus' name. Amen.